Thanks for joining us today on Futures by Fractal podcast, the consumer brands in 2025. I'm here with Sagar Shah, a client partner in Fractal's Dimension team, and Chetna Kumar, head of Fractal's corporate social responsibility and special projects. My home state recently banned single-use shopping plastic bags. Sustainability is now impacting daily routines on a very personal level. So Sagar, on a personal level, what are some sustainability examples you're seeing? It's very exciting times to actually see consumer brands coming more sustainable and more ethical and, you know, consumer friendly. Three brands that come to mind, you know, one which was launched quite recently with my close friend, Give by Love, is a consumer planet-focused startup which basically sources ethically directly from the artisans and the, you know, manufacturers. And it actually uses it for social causes like poverty alleviation or even autism uh, and, you know, causes like that. So, It was quite a natural, you know, very nice brand that has started. A second one, which I use personally quite a lot, is Thrift Books. This is a competitor to Amazon for books. It basically uh, is a very self-sustainable, you know, kind of a model where you can actually return used books. And there's a lot of used books shipping happening for free. And that actually helps the environment quite a lot. And the third is, again, very close to me, is Open Secret. It's an Indian natural sugar-free snacking brand, which has been launched a couple of years back and it is women only workforce again you know trying to use only organic and natural materials also sugar-free materials for the health of you know billions of people in india who are snacking all the time so these three really come to mind that's great chetna do you have a favorite example of a brand or a company even becoming sustainable well not exactly a specific example of a brand or a company but i will say this that chris this is our collective moment in history where we are all unified by a reasonably common purpose. And we have science-backed facts and targets that are all leading in a common direction. And it is absolutely heartening to see the amazing work happening across industries, sectors that span the whole spectrum between wellness, sustainability and inclusion. So the trigger that you just mentioned when it felt very real and personal to you was when your home state banned single-use plastics And it is wonderful to see that, that this is mirrored as far away in India as well. A couple of years ago in my city of Mumbai, single-use plastics were banned. And that even happened before alternate support system had been fully wetted and off the ground. It was just an important decision at the time of this idea had come. So I would just restrict myself more to an observation that this is a very common and unified thread and theme that we've seen over years that spans industries and geographies. So sustainability has moved from a value to a goal to an action. So Sagar, can you maybe share how you think consumers will be moving towards sustainable products and maybe being a part of that action? Sure, absolutely. Consumers are definitely moving in that direction. I don't think they are there yet where there's a true awakening of consumers who want to use only sustainable products, only products which, you know, are net carbon positive or you know, adding more value to the planet in general. Probably today it's the reverse where revenge shopping is happening because of post-pandemic issues, right? Uh, But hopefully that'll, you know, change, that'll fade and people will reduce their demand of consumeristic activities that are going on for clothes and, you know, immediate satisfaction and so on. And hopefully that pause will lead to a reflection and hopefully soon they will start buying more sustainable products. From a company perspective, there is a very nice opportunity for all consumer brands to sort of push very hard on this agenda where you're actually thinking of an honest impact share that you're making on the person's health, mental and physical and the environmental health. Can we track metrics like those in addition to 
already the you know ESG metrics that we have. Can we also believe and almost do a greenwashing audit, uh, white labeling audit uh, on all our products and brands and packaging, right? Are we just doing it for the sake of it, for tokenist purposes, or are we really doing it? For example, tote bags, right? The cotton bags, uh, which consumers have started loving and using so often, they're actually harmful to the environment. They're actually very bad for the environment, which is not commonly known. And that is because of, you know, bad marketing in general. So consciousness has to be, you know, reflective. And hopefully companies will make it their purpose to educate the masses, being radically honest in their marketing and their product packaging. So that is a win-win for everybody. I have heard that with the sustainable bags that the break-even point on the number of uses is fairly significant. And that is, yes, not very well known in the market. So Chutna, what is your definition of sustainability? And Sagar was just talking about some mental, physical, and even environmental type of conditions. How, How do you see the definition of sustainability changing? That's a great question, Chris. And sustainability is interpreted different ways in different industries, sectors, and geographies. Early on, environmental, social, and governance matters were reported differently and not necessarily viewed as a unified whole. But today, we're increasingly seeing that sustainability does not just refer to what's environmentally right, what's right for planet, people, and communities. And we do share our planet with other species as well, not just with humans. So we do see, and I'm increasingly seeing this, that sustainability is now referring to diversity, equity, inclusion, governance, and uh, all of these which can be measured in a very quantified manner and in a very detailed manner. And I'm increasingly seeing a shift, Chris, in terms of very granular measurement at a very micro level. So I do think that while every organization and a country or a company can define what sustainability means for it. I'm increasingly seeing the definition to have expanded to include environmental matters, social, as well as matters governance. So let me keep going on some of that measurement aspect of things. So how do you actually see that measurement taking place in the market at the moment? What do you see companies doing? To share my experience from the organizational perspective, energy emissions are absolutely the number one target that everybody is looking at at a unified whole. All of us are aware of the Paris Agreement. We're aware that the world is expected to peak its emissions as early as 2025 and then go down to about 50% reduction by 2030. This is what the IPCC, the leading bodies across the world, the United Nations are recommending is what is the need of the hour. Now, when you talk about measurement, measurement of electricity is reasonably well established. You can see it on your invoices, in your utilities, bills, and organizations are reasonably good and great at mapping their consumption of electricity, which is a very important part of emissions. Chris, the interesting challenge here comes in when you talk about emissions broken down across scope one, scope two, and scope three. And a lot of these emissions, usage of energy or emission of greenhouse gases, it's not that the greenhouse gases are the problem, it's a quantum of them that has occurred in the atmosphere, which is the problem. It's a tad hard to know what is exactly your energy or your carbon footprint unless you've been measuring it for some time. Even if you haven't, it's not too late and it's not at all difficult to measure the number of airline miles your company may be accruing. Are these direct flights? Are these um, layover flights? So measurement of behaviors, measurement of consumption are essentially what will help us define the emissions portrait, the energy emissions portrait very carefully and which is now being asked for and reported voluntarily or mandatorily across the world. Regulators are asking for it. Companies are very forward looking and volunteering it. We've been spending some time on the environmental aspect of metrics and 
that is part of the larger environmental, social, and governance ESG type of metric. So Sagar, what have you seen companies doing to start tracking some of these ESG metrics? Have you found them to be adequate? Sure, sure. So many companies have started tracking this, which is a very good start. And also, you know, there is a big data void on, you know, how do we fill all the metrics correctly? That needs to, you know, a lot of digging and figuring out data, which is hidden in places, right? So all of that is going on and we see a lot of clients working with us as well on such initiatives. However, there is a sinking feeling in my heart as well. And there is a climate scientist which coined the term deep adaptation or collapse in 2018, where it said, you know, just measuring is not enough. We have to change the business models that we are working with how the governments are tracking and, you know, implementing policies, how citizens are, you know, involved. So that was a pretty fascinating paper. And it said, you know, we are already on the path of destruction. If we don't stop anytime soon or if we don't reverse it, just measurement is not enough. And I think he also recommended, I think, a framework which said resilience, restoration and uh, rediscovering, right? I think resilience of can we define new value norms and human behaviors in societies, governments, corporations, all included. Can we relinquish a few assets that we are using today, really fundamentally? And can we rediscover new attitudes, new approaches to life, you know, universal income, future of work? All of these are related to sustainability in a way, right? So if you look at it more holistically, maybe we will hopefully avoid the disaster which is coming soon. But definitely companies are on, on some path right now. Sagar, one of the things you mentioned is around changed business models and Related to ESG, we see companies seeing to gravitate towards a hyper-local movement. And that seems to be heavily related to some of the metrics that we're doing, but a much more action-oriented. Do you have any examples that you've seen around that hyper-local movement? Yeah, absolutely. So many large companies are experimenting because, you know, their large supply chains are quite tangled. It's quite difficult for them to go hyper-local immediately. But I think th some experiments are going on, which is great to see. One great experiment, which I heard in Chicago, which was here, here market. Uh, it's an e-commerce platform that connects American consumers to Michelin products, right? Michelin chef uh, style products. So that was that focus of, you know, bringing products and consumers together. And of course, it's a creator based uh, e-commerce platform, right? Uh, that is a really good example of how, you know, hyper local can be done uh, along with lifestyle categorization as well. Now, you can think of similar such example, you know, in coffee or, you know, uh, chocolates or the foods that, you know, are locally sourced, breweries where, you know, beer is made locally and so on and on and on, where communities get benefits from the hyperlocal production. And as well as your supply chain becomes more resilient, maybe less effective, but more resilient in the long term. So Chetna, who do you see as owning sustainability in the future? Do, do you think there's going to be a chief sustainability officer ever? I'm so glad you asked me that question. Of course, organizations already have chief sustainability officers and they're doing an excellent, excellent job. But I do not think, Guy, it's my great studied and strong belief that sustainability cannot be owned by one particular team or a one particular head of a division like the chief sustainability officer. Of course, that particular person is charged with driving, monitoring, program management, encouraging, looking at risks and opportunities together. Everybody talks about the risks that climate change has brought, but equally important are the exciting possibilities and opportunities that have presented themselves. If you filled in the recent CDP survey uh, that just closed a few days back, there were enough questions and open fields where you could submit the climate change related opportunities that you had to uh, that you were taking advantage of or investing money in terms of research and development to evaluate. 
So, no, Chris, I think, yes, we need chief sustainability officers duly empowered, but we need cross-functional task forces because ESG stakeholders or sustainability stakeholders are spread across the length and breadth of the organization. Your procurement team is involved. Your finance and legal team is involved. Your human capital team is involved. The IT team is involved when you're talking about governance and important themes such as data security and data privacy. So it's at least 11 to 12 stakeholders, sometimes more within an organization. And success in sustainability depends on ownership and adoption. And a big starting point for that is a unified vision, which comes very often straight from the top, excellent stewardship. I'm fortunate to work in an organization where we have the highest levels of stewardship here in terms of environmental social and governance citizenship. So yes, there are already chief sustainability officers and they will continue to be there. But does sustainability get owned by just one vertical? I think that would be a very narrow view of sustainability and the success metrics and factors. So it's really owned by the entire organization. Enlightened behavior across the organization, board level oversight, and a very strong sense of purpose and vision, shared vision, shared purpose. Thank you, Sagar and Chutna, for your perspectives on sustainability. It seems sustainability is still in its nascent stages and a significant opportunity exists for sustainability to become part of the dialogue between brands, consumers, and those within the organizations that serve them. Ways to capture customer sentiment, apply that effectively to all aspects of the product lifecycle and analyze whether progress is being made is only gonna become more important. So I'm happy to be speaking with Bob Shook, the Vice President, Mondelez Digital Services Supply Chain. Bob, thanks for joining us today on Futures by Fractal podcast, the consumer brands in 2025. We've been talking about sustainability for survival, how principle replaces short-term productivity and what that means for consumer brands. So sustainability can mean many different things. What are the characteristics or dimensions that you consider important for brands? Thanks, Chris. Uh, and thanks again for inviting me. This is a great topic and I'm really excited to be here with you. I think sustainability's got three key components. The first is, of course, uh, the environmental aspect of sustainability. The second is the social and the third is around governance. On the environmental side, often the things we think about are the life cycle of a brand, circular economies. I think in the, in the lexicon of sustainability, often we talk about scope one, two, and three emissions, for instance. You know, how much energy does it take to create something? How much energy does it take to bring that product, for instance, to a consumer? And then what sort of surrounding that electricity and maybe water and things like that, what contributed to those things? Um, so that we can get a full picture of what the impact is environmentally. Also environmentally, we talk about circular economies sometimes. Um, so where'd the plastic come from? Where'd the cardboard come from that went into this particular package? And what happens to it after we use this product? Um, so those are the dimensions environmental. Socially, I think we talk similarly about the responsibilities that companies have to source ethically, to promote social justice. And these sort of really important characteristics for brands to stand up to that consumers look for. And that socially also looks a little bit into governance and how do we govern our brands? How do we make sure that we understand the traceability of some of the products through the life cycle of the supply chain and through each of the supply chain nodes to the shelf and sometimes even beyond the shelf to the consumer? And so those three dimensions, I think, for me, make up, that's what I think of when I think of that sort of more broad word sustainability. That's great. You mentioned several frameworks um, in your comments, specifically that ESG, environmental, social governance type of framework. You also mentioned about scope one, two, and three. 
which uh, relates to the uh, climate initiative. Could you say more about that CDP initiative? Because I think uh, folks would enjoy hearing that framework if they're not familiar with it. And specifically, your view on that in terms of the supply chain and how it cascades through the supply chain. Sure. Thanks. Thanks. This is a this is a great topic, and one that also I'm also learning a lot about. So I don't uh, I don't want to come across like I'm I'm an expert in scope one, two, and three emissions. But the the spirit behind it is just maybe like I touched on before. How can we get a full picture of the environmental impact of a particular product or a brand? A full picture means from the very start of the supply chain, like how much energy did it take to create and ship the raw materials to the place where we're producing? Um, where did the raw materials come from? What's the environmental impact of those raw materials, wherever they were and whatever that is? That could be farms, that could be sort of, you know, work in progress, like, you know, mills or something like that. But capturing that and capturing the energy associated with making those raw materials or those kind of in-process materials is essential to getting a bigger picture of what the total impact is of, of a particular brand to, to the environment. The second, second piece of that scope one, two, three, I think is of course, how much energy did it take to make this thing in the production facility? What did this really look like? Then we have to transport it. We have to move it and we have to put it someplace. And then of course we have to bring it to, to consumers or consumers have to sort of interact with it. And what does that look like? And so when you take those three components together, it creates a pretty good picture of what the, the environmental impact is of, of brands. It also, in my mind anyway, establishes this is an economy that is connected. And so we've got collaboration across this supply chain, not just within companies, but across companies so that we can work closely with suppliers and we could work closely with customers. You know, if I put myself in the, in the shoes of perhaps a, a retailer who's got things on a shelf, they're looking at scope of my scope emissions or, or uh, a supplier scope emissions and saying, Hey, look, I really need you to help me round this out. What does this really look like for a manufacturing company or, or a consumer goods company, for instance, they're looking at their supplier saying the same thing. Hey, so I think there'll be a little bit, this, this is bringing together some collaboration across the supply network in a way that I think is, um, is fantastic. How do brands balance sustainability and convenience? knowing that there's some trade-offs involved with this. And how have you seen those trade-offs handled, if at all? Right. When I take any example where it seems like a trade-off, sometimes it seems to me if we turn the flip the question upside down and say, how can I make this a growth play? How can we help consumers? How can I make the product quality even better? How can I improve availability on the shelf while I'm also doing this? So can I combine these two things and make this, you know, one plus one equals three? And I think with sustainability, there is absolutely that possibility. So I think often, sometimes we look at problems like it's a, I can either choose cost or I could choose service, for instance, or I could choose, you know, sustainability or I could choose convenience. And I, I really do think these things go together. So for instance, I'm imagining if we look at product packaging or we look at some of the packaging that we ship products in or something. And as we're potentially thinking about paper and waste and redesign, think looking at this and putting ourselves in the customer's shoes or the consumer's shoes saying, well, how do I redesign packaging in a way that that's absolutely even more delightful than what the package is now? Or how do I redesign maybe the way I ship this so that I'm being a great steward of the environment and I'm also helping sort of the, the customer that's going to receive this thing take touches out of the supply chain by, um, you, you know, as they, as they figure out how to stock it and put it on the shelf. I think those things are the things that make this thing really work. And those are entirely possible. So looking at the problem 
like that, like a big opportunity, I think ends up having an exponential benefit over time. I really like your comments around growth on this topic because often people can think of less of cutting in terms of sustainability. And it's interesting that sustainability might take an abundance mindset, which is a little bit counterintuitive. So I really like your, your comments in that area. Another topic that you touched on was collaboration and how there's intersections across a variety of parties associated with sustainability. Do you see some extension in that where there's some cross-brand industry association or anything like that involved to be able to address some of the more structural elements of sustainability? Right. That's a great point. I mean, my opinion over time is that the success of sustainability will be so compelling to brands and companies and the collaboration that, that it creates or, or that can be created, not just in the success of sustainability, but the success of looking across the supply network, for instance, and taking touches out and taking out losses and potentially collaborating in a way in near real time with, with a digital sort of you know, platform or platforms underneath that really make it very compelling to co-create and co-create from the very back of the, you know, the, whichever, whichever side you're thinking of, I'm thinking of always the shelf as, the, as you know, the front. But, but I think if you look at the totality of the supply network, that collaboration fostered by and enabled by digital capability, visibility will, will enable companies to establish relationships, certainly relationships like consortiums, but also joint ventures and things like that, I'm imagining that are probably things I can't even imagine that, that unlock a ton of value for companies and consumers. In the theme of that, you know, relationship and collaboration aspect of things, do you think consumers have a role in sustainability? Maybe something that they're doing different today or something that they need to do different than they do today? I think consumers have sort of more of what we've seen. Consumers align their values with the brands or, or they sort of want their brands to align to their values more and more and more intensely. And I think as we've, as consumers have lots of choices, the deliberation around those choices often is on values. You know, if someone's at a shelf and they're looking at the shelf and they see this particular set of values that this brand has align much more closely to mine, then that might, you know, increase a selection of, of that over, over time more and more. And maybe, um, you know, well, I've heard this called the first moment of truth as you're standing at the shelf and you pick something. And then the second moment of truth, as you're actually it's experiencing the product, as those two resonate, kind of reinforce that the values are aligned, it becomes more and more, you know, a, a consumer choice over time. So as the consumers continue to look for brands that align with sustainability values, I think it's incumbent on us all to understand that and look at our you know, look at our own brands and our own house and say, let's understand who we're serving. Let's understand where the growth is and let's see what it's going to take to, um, to really, you know, delight consumers. Well, Bob, I know we're just about out of time and I just wanted to ask you if there's a, uh, a good example that you can point to of uh, sustainability, either by a brand or by a function, just something that you would think is worthy of emulation, any comments that you have in terms of, you know, what you see as a good example. I see great examples in in packaging personally, like as a shopper, when I go to the store, uh, often, you know, my wife is the one that makes the list and then hands it to me. And I'm the one that goes to the store. I really love to grocery shop. It's something I think I've always thought was great. I love to see different options and brands and see sort of positioning and where they are in the aisle. I'm always fascinated by those things. And I think what I've, what I've seen, not just from one brand, but many is a really concerted effort to 
come together with how do we make this sort of shelf presence? How do we make sure we've got sort of a, a great appealing product for consumers to, to choose? How do we make sure that we deliver it in that second moment of truth when consumers are actually then consuming this product? But also, I think the packaging, very specifically the packaging component, I think is absolutely, you know, compelling and, and, and really to me, I'm always, I'm always enamored by. So it, a package often is protecting a product, for instance, and making sure it doesn't get crushed or making sure, you know, those sorts of things. And 10 years ago, maybe we looked at these things with a different eye. And now, now I think companies are saying, how do I make this sustainable? How do I, you know, be respectful of sort of the, you know, circular economy? Can I re-engineer this also so that consumers are thinking, wow, that's super cool. I love the way that this thing opens. I love the sound of it. I like how to take the product out. I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's an innovative scene as a consumer innovation when consumers have it and then they come back to it. It's not just a great sustainability play, but it's also very pleasing to consumers when they consume a product. Great. Bob, thank you for your comments today. Um, incredibly insightful. Really enjoy hearing about what you're seeing in practice and what you're seeing from the perspective of a, of a brand leader. And in terms of all the interactions that you're seeing, everything from the circular economies to the real-time visibility to the relationships and the collaboration. So it really does sound like there's a lot of opportunity in this area for brands and really appreciate your insights on that from living that day to day.